up, crafties? I hope you're feeling lucky today because we have lucky number seven in our Kaldheim Constructed Set Review series for you today. So enjoy it and go out there and get lucky. Okay, next up, read this one. Ascendant Spirit is one blue for a 1-1 one, one snow creature spirit with snow snow. Ascendant Spirit becomes a spirit warrior with base power and toughness 2-3. Snow, snow, snow. If Ascendant Spirit is a warrior, put a flying counter on it and it becomes a spirit warrior angel with base power and toughness 4-4. Four, four. Snow, 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 snow. If Ascendant Spirit is an angel, put two plus one plus one counters on it, and it gains whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So this is a throwback to, we had this mechanic in what, Lawwin or something, where like you could essentially power up your creatures by putting mana into them. The one everybody talks about is first... Oh, gosh. Figure of Destiny. Figure of Destiny, right. That's what everybody talks about first. I never played that. I had Warden of the First Tree, which was in, like, uh, cons, I think? Mm -hmm. Somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I remember it from. Yeah, one of the most recent examples of an effect like this is they printed a Hex Drinker into Modern Master, or the whatever that broken Modern set was recently. And uh, so that might be the most recent kind of example of a card like this that has been printed. But uh, just to note, a one mana spirit. So, you yes. know, this this is uh, maybe a thing. And I, I don't know, CGB, like... Uh, okay, I, I, here's the first question. Are cards like this generally better than they look or worse than they look? Better. Okay. They're generally better than they look, yeah. but it still depends on the abilities, the curve, and the format. Mm-hmm. Like I am not, I am not excited about this being a two-three that I sunk my first two turns into with no other <laughs> yeah. abilities. If it gained flying, I would be like pumped. You know? Oh, but it doesn't have flying. This is a it's a spirit that doesn't have flying until you've put the third mana into it. Yeah, they uh, just keep they keep doing this to me, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. To me specifically, you. spirits without flying. Yep, I just can't even. <laughs> it is a snow creature, and uh, chat pointed out to me that if you activate the fourth ability multiple times, like you can just keep doing it oh, every turn. Okay, you can infinite that one, right? So right, you can right. crawling barons, and then you draw two cards, and then you draw three cards. <laughs> oh, is that because it? Is that I, the I way believe that it works? keeps. I believe it keeps adding that ability every time. That is an in, that would be a good thing to verify. Yeah, it would. That is kind of cool, I guess. You're really doing it at that point. Okay, so one thing I like about this, as opposed to some of those other cards that we spoke about in the past, is that those ones could only be activated on your turn, right? Mm-hmm. And this one can be activated when evs. So that's that kind of true. cool. Um, so if you're playing some kind of like flash countery deck if you're if you're running counter spells this card goes up in value or just doing other instant speeds if you have other flash spirits this card could conceivably go up in value any kind of a tempo sort of deck 
actually benefits a lot on Arena from having these cards that hold priority when your mana is open. Because you don't give away your hand or when you're vulnerable when you don't have a counter spell. So I, I I do think this card is better than people will believe it is, but it's so easy to come in low on this card because it sounds so bad to put that much mana into a 2-3 and then have to still put more mana into a 4-4. Four, four. Then it meets Brazen Borrower and it's sad. Like the, the, Those play patterns are ugly. They are. You're, I feel like you're heavily incentivized to do the first activation. Because you don't want this thing to just get picked off by a bone crusher or just any incidental ping from anything. That's pretty embarrassing. So I agree. Like, is this really what you want to do with your mana? Uh, hard to imagine. It is really, it's really hard for the opponent to block because of the curve, right? Yeah. So if if you just play this on one and start attacking and... The opponent has creatures, but it gets outscaled, say, if you're the 2-3 turning into the 4-4. Four, four, they just they can never block it. At each point, right? That's a good point. It There might be matchups where your opponent plays this on turn 1 on the play, and you look down at your hand and you're just like, crap. Could you conceivably bring this in in a control mirror as a juke to where like yeah. your opponent sided out their removal, and then you just got them? We talked about that on my stream when I was positing like good places for this card and that was like one of the ones that i said is like they'll have to have some way to interact with it it doesn't have to be a flashy way i mean if they have one or two glass caskets left over you feel really bad it's true yeah you do but you know another nice thing one of the things i like sometimes about playing threats in control matchups is that it does eventually force your opponent to tap mana maybe on their turn and maybe that gives you a window Anyway, this this card has many, many options and possibilities and is a powerful card, which I think this next card is as well. So Skemfar Avenger, one and a black creature elf berserker at rare. It is a 3-1. And whenever another non-token elf or berserker you control dies, you draw a card and you lose one life. Midnight Reaper, but with uh, different numbers and the ability is narrower. I don't want to talk about Midnight Reaper tonight. I got, like, my opponent just ripped one of those off the top against me in the Kaldheim qualifier today and drew, like, seven cards. Oh, no. (laughs) It was so bad. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it, how Midnight Reaper was printed, and then it saw very little play for a long time. And then eventually we got the right pieces, like the cat oven and all that kind of other stuff. And then it started to see more play. And now it's like a historic all-star. But it kind of took a while. Yeah, this has the downside that it's not Midnight Reaper and that when this dies, you don't get a card. Yep, that is a big downside. And the one toughness just sucks. On, on the bright side, what more in an aggressive in an aggressive deck, what more can you ask of your two drop than either they remove it or bad things happen to them? And that, that is what this card does. Very good point. For sure. And it's a three power for two mana creature. And it's a one on a black. So this can go into black X aggressive decks. And yeah, there's a lot to like about this card. I think this card can definitely earn its place on your curve. For sure. It is pretty frustrating that it's tribal in nature. Yep. Because... I would have loved to play Croxa after this and Ooh, just get a card there for you it. Go. 
Yeah. But that's not an option. I think the tribal nature is going to hold it back a lot. Like, a lot. I definitely haven't seen enough from Berserkers. I wish it had, like, even one more kind of more generic type, like Warrior, right? If it said, like, another elf to Berserker or Warrior on there, you could kind of start to think about putting it in a variety of decks. But this does seem fairly specific. Yeah, I I think this card will see play as people try to figure out if the elf deck can work. But I think it's an entire playability, whether or not it even... Like, what if you ever see this on ladder, it'll be because the elf deck is good, but not because this card is good. Yeah, like, I think it, it, it's it's one of the call. best elf. It's one of the best elf options we have. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Okay, this next card I want to read just because it's uh, it it asks an interesting question of us, right? Poison the cup, one black black, instant at uncommon. Destroy target creature. If this spell was foretold, scry two. And the foretell cost is one and a black. So I ask you, CGB, is putting Scry 2 worth it on a card which is basically Heartless Act plus one black mana to cast? Like, could, could you consider playing this in certain matchups? There have, been, there have been a number of cards over the years that people come to me and say this card is amazing because it's just like this other card but has Scry 2. Uh, a good example is Anticognition, which was pitched to me as the new Quench meets Essence Scatter. And it has Scry 2. I I just don't value Scry 2 very much. It's literally uh, one of those, if there's nothing else to do abilities. I would never pay excess mana to gain it. I would only take it if it were literally free with nothing else to do. In the way that Castle Vantress provides it. All I had to do was play a land that produced blue mana. I was doing that anyway, and every now and then, I'll scry two. I, like, it's not the same as drawing cards. It's not, it's not how it works. I just, so, for me, this is, this is not a card to me. This card reads like just such an A player in Limited, and like, yeah, it's just going to do nothing in Constructed, which is so interesting because I feel like, Removal spells that are very good and limited are always kind of courting constructed. But I'm with you. I think Poison the Cop is just so not it for standard right now. Okay, this next card, though, uh, people have been kind of excited about. So I'll let you take this one. Usher the Fallen is one white for a 2-1 creature, Spirit Warrior, with Boast. One in a white, create a 1-1 white human warrior creature token and we haven't boasted lately it's been a few hundred words since we boasted so that is you can pay one in a white after you've declared this as an attacker once per turn at whatever speed you like uh so basically attack and then for one in a white make a a one one human warrior so what do you think is usher the fall in the greatest savannah lions in the history of the game it is certainly a good Savannah Lion. I'm not as high on this card as I've seen some people be. So why do I say that? How good do you feel if you turn one Usher the Fall and turn two attack and post with it? How like how good is that really? I guess you feel better than if you did absolutely nothing. It's true. If you had nothing else to do on turn two in your aggro deck, then okay, you did it. But, like, if you had nothing else to do on turn two of your aggro deck, you already lost. 
Yeah, the place where it's really good is when you're against a control deck who has Absorb and Wrath of God in their hand and Elspeth conquers death. And one card can put a lot of pressure on them, force the Wrath, and then you go from there. That That's the dream scenario. And oh, the fail case is you get a decent rate creature of one mana for a 2-1 with good type, Spirit and Warrior. Right. So the, types the card will see play. I think it's a bit overrated. Here's the other thing. Does this card get better if you're playing that card that we keep referencing, the two-mana Anthem? That's got to be good with this card, right? You can name Warrior, and it bump, it buffs the buffs Human Warrior the thing and the Spirit and Warrior. The token, right? How about if you play Of One Mind with this card? Uh, that does sound pretty gas. Yeah. One mana draw two. Well, is it though? Here's the thing, because in that scenario, you basically did the divination but you just get a token out of it right like you spent divination mana to get a divination but you just got a token god what more do you want i all i i just wake up saying give me lingering souls and a draw to at the same time you know (laughs) it's all i want what more do you want oh my god lucky clover is banned get over it We're just we're just sinking. I I love how much mana we're sinking into this in the critical early turns of the game. Okay, okay, but answer answer me this: this or Ascendant Spirit? What's better? Oh, the one we just read. Mm-hmm. What's better? They're both one drops. They're both spirits. They're both mana sinks. I have to say, if I'm spending the mana, I think I would rather upgrade my thing than make an extra one one. I agree. I agree that Ascendant Spirit is much better. Yep. Yeah, I just... I I don't buy this card, dude. I think 2-1 for 1 already has to be good in the format. I think that this card sees play if every single part of the buffalo is good. Like, I think the 2-1 for 1... Like, the Savannah Lion needs to be good. You need to have a good aggressive deck, A. B, you need to have something or many things in your deck making Spirit Warriors better or paying you for having them. And then C, you need to have realistic scenarios in which you're getting paid off of the token. So if all of those things are happening, and they could, then yeah, this card could absolutely be good. But I just think it's a lot of ifs. And I think that people who look at this and think that spending two mana in your aggressive deck to make a 1-1 token after you attacked with this thing is good enough. Like, it's, like if you took away the types, this card is not as good as you think it is, you know? So that's kind of where I'm sitting with it. I agree. And it also has tough competition. It, you, you have Selfless Savior and Alcee of Life's Bounty in the one spot. That's it. White is not hurting for the one drops at the moment. I mean, I'm glad they printed this. This is great. Put it in the arsenal. A plus. Do, keep doing this, Wizards. I love it. You know what card I compare this to is Whisper Squad. <laughs> how much how much play has whisper squad seen since obosh rotated out of uh, rotated rotated out got taxed out of existence <laughs> rotated got out banned. of the companion slot banned by wizards right yeah. uh basically none right so no you're right well i'm glad i'm glad because some people seem super high on this card and i was worried that you would be one of them oh oh no 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 the the issue here is that we've had so many like just either no one drops or terrible one drops people just got hyped that it had a power greater than its casting cost yeah exactly man we're starved we're so starved for good one drops so you you referenced this card vaguely earlier cgb why don't you read it 
In search of greatness is green green enchantment rare. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a permanent spell from your hand with converted mana cost equal to one, plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents you control without paying its mana cost. If you don't, scry one. Interesting card. Yeah, <laughs> uh, free free spells. Free spells. Is, is that a thing? Are free spells good? Uh, you know what this reminds me of? As foretold. Yes, a little bit. That card was flagrantly unplayable. So pretty bad. Okay, this card would have been had so many more possibilities if you took that other word out. Because it doesn't power itself. It doesn't power itself, and that is a massive blow against this card. Because curving this into a three drop and having this pay for your three drop, yeah, that sounds freaking awesome. Hit Sounds me. broken. Hit though. me with it, right? Sounds broken. Let's not. How about we just don't do that level of broken again? So, so the question is, this has to start paying you like, okay, if you played a one drop, then on turn three, this pays you by being able to play a two drop for free, which kind of. could happen. That could happen. If your one drop lived. Yeah, if your one drop lived and taking turn two off was okay. And then from there, see that the the idea with this card is that you're like going up the chain for free, right? That's that's kind of the theory behind the card is that like it casts a card and then the next turn it casts the more expensive card and then it casts the more expensive card. One of the issues with cards like this is that in order for these decks to really be good, you have to play decks full of like a wide variety of like of permanence with a wide variety of casting costs and the problem with that is that if you look at the average curve of good decks and constructed formats they usually don't like like expensive cards are very 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 carefully fit into constructed decks you don't just jam a bunch of expensive cards in your average constructed deck and expect to get there most constructed decks play really hard hitting cheap cards and that's how they get there so your deck without this card probably sucks and so if you don't draw it if you don't have it on curve your deck probably sucks i mean like am i am i speaking to the choir here or like how are you thinking about this well, it, it sounds to me like people have been pitching you like magical Christmas land nonsense. Um, because when I think about the card I and deck building around it, I'm not thinking of a bunch of like six and seven drops I'm going to cast for free. I'm, I just want a lot of good fours, like a lot of them. So that we, we have decent threes that are resilient or somehow crafty, and then we get multiple four drops on turn four. Like it's it's a mana doubling on turn four if you get your three drop to live. You you play one four mana card for free, and then you put you have another four mana to use for something else. So you're thinking, how about we just raise the curve in the average mono green deck? We raise the curve from stopping at four to stopping at five, and then we just try to profit wildly off this card. Is that kind of what we're thinking? Like we. We play, yeah, like a bunch of questing beasts. Maybe we main deck like one more Vivian than we ordinarily would. And then we're just kind of like playing a, a, a traditional mono green game, but we're getting a bit cheaty. Is that kind of what you're thinking about? Yeah, if you want to do something along the lines of a turn three Lovestruck Beast that then plays a questing beast and a Great Henge on turn four, 
<laughs> and another search for, for greatness with the other two mana. And then, yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's the kind of absolute nonsense thing that you can do. It is just a little bit extra from what Mono Green's already doing. And the big headache is that you need your three drop to live. If it dies... All you get out of this is a scry. And I'm saying, you sometimes go on these rants. I need one. I need people to stop coming up to me saying, it. it's not a do-nothing. You get to scry one. <laughs> Isn't a scry worth it? Think of Search for His Contact. It's like it's that. It's so <laughs> funny you say that. I was just about to say, this is no Search for His Contact. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the stuff I hear all day. And it's like, man... Uh, I would not pay two mana for an enchantment that let me scry at one every turn because I don't value scry that way. Scry, so so just really quick, scry is like a third of a card per scry because there's three scenarios. Either number one, you keep it, in which case you did actual nothing. Number two, you bottom it, but then still draw something you didn't want. And number three, you bottom it and you draw something that you did want. Number three is the one where it was like a card. Because you put away a literal nothing to get a something. So about a third of the time, depending on your context, what matchup you're on. But just generally speaking, a scry is like close to a third of a card. So I would rather have a two mana draw card than a two mana scry one any day. Like, and twice on Sunday. So just getting that out of the way. I think that there's interesting text on this card that takes it further because I do hate the play pattern of play this, play a three drop, see the three drop die, and you're doing nothing because that is the weakness that Gruel and Green have right now. They're very reliant on their three drop drop living so that they can great henge and do their busted things. So we need, what I want to do is I want to play something like a flash card so that I can flash it in on the opponent's end step and make it much more resilient to hate and removal. Even better if it's not a creature. So for example, if I play this on turn two, and on turn three on their end step, I flash in Omen of the Sun, then the next turn I get a free four drop because it says permanent. So uh, Omen of the Sun transferring to four free mana for a Doom Foretold, for example, and then four more mana to cast, say, that Angel Saga. I was just going to say, I think that this plays fairly well with sagas. I kind of like that idea. Also with Doom Foretold, you can sacrifice it once job is done. It's a good point. Yep, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. How many of these do you play in your deck? That's a great question. I think it depends how warped you are to take advantage of it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it Because I could see a deck that's like, well, I have a curve that's a little top heavy in three to four. So I'll play one or two of these, and I can also see a deck that's like my whole, like, just four of it. Cheating mana is what we're here for. And that's definitely where I'll start when I'm experimenting with the card to see just what it does. Um, it does say other, so if you have two of them, they can work off they each other. They can do each other. That's that's something, right? It's something. A little something. This is another card where I just want to tell the masses, don't craft it. Don't, like pretend this card doesn't exist let adventurous really? mages oh come on or skilled come on. mages figure this card out for you that's that's the coward's way no just just play this on turn two then play treacherous blessing on turn three and go to town <laughs> let nothing stop you oh my gosh 
CGV hates your wild cards. <laughs> I do. I, I, I have no respect for your budget. Just just to be clear. I look forward to the video that you release around your deck that you built around this card. I think fun things will happen. I definitely think it's sweet. I do not think that this is the next Fires of Invention. Okay. I, I need to play it. I really... This is one that I am completely unsure about. Yeah. I like this card most to like set up some kind of broken combo what do you what do you think of omen of the the omen of the sun trick but we play questing beast and we play the squirrel on turn on turn four (laughs) and just draw three more cards so that we keep getting more free spells is that toski in the art it is it is because i mean that's something right it's a hint made for each other you know what go right ahead cgb thank you with your blessing, I will. I'll gleefully watch you from afar. So our next land that probably isn't constructed playable, Skemfar Elderhall land. ETB's tapped, taps for a green. Two black, uh, yeah, two black, black, green, and tap. Sacrifice this. So basically you spend six on this. Up to one target creature you don't control gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Create two one one green elf warrior creature tokens. Activate this ability only time, anytime you can cast a sorcery. Yeah, this just seems very weak. I'm not going to write it off. I think it actually might be like a two of, and it's mostly because I think the one drops in Golgari are terrible. So you may as well oh, play so a tap land and play. Yeah, you may as well play a tap land, play a mid range game, grind, and then do it mm-hmm. but why can't it be two minus one minus one counters so it worked awesome with vorinclex that's that's what bothers me <laughs> yeah things that don't work with vorinclex the small list <laughs> okay here's another one for us then not bold slumber mound so this is the red version so uh, taps for red etb tapland and the uh, cost on this is three red green green Sacrifice this, destroy target land, create a 4-4 green troll warrior creature token with trample. That's a pretty gas ability, I gotta say. It's an expensive ability, but that's some that's some punch from your tap land. Why aren't there giant trolls? That's a very good... Or trolls that are giants. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I, I look at the art and I immediately was like, okay, that'll turn into a giant. Nah, troll warrior. Again, like, if you're playing this in some kind of a ramp deck, maybe? It's hard, right? Because, you know, you want your lands to, like, cast your spells and do other useful things that lands do. But, I don't know, man. Getting getting this and the only price that you had to pay was a tap land, that's pretty strong. Seven mana's a... It is a, a lot. A lot. It is a lot. It's... It's so much, seven mana. I, I definitely think you're more likely to put this in a ramp deck. Cards like these were so much better when we could growth spiral them into play to where the tap land tax wasn't as grave of a problem. Do we have other... Because, I mean, you know, red-green, them's ramp colors right there. So do we have, like, other sagas or just other cards that kind of like the growth spiral oro kind of thing that are just helping us to put extra lands into play? I mean, there's a lot of them, but they don't draw cards like the Simic ones. Yeah, so they don't. Good. I'm just trying to think if there are any other playable ones. I mean, you want to play Dryad of Elysian Grove. You want to play, <laughs> you know, uh, people are waiting for Azusa, Lost But Seeking to be a card. Oh, gosh. Like, 
Like, yeah. That's not how it works. No, it's not how it works. So I agree. I, it's a stretch for me to imagine playing any of these cards, but this is the one that definitely hits the hardest so far that I've seen. But I will give you it is an exceptionally expensive ability. How about read this uh, Tundra Fumarole for us? One red red for a snow sorcery. Tundra Fumarole deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. Add colorless for each snow spent to cast this spell until end of turn. You don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Oh my god, CGV, it's a free removal spell. It's gonna break the world. Isn't this card so good? It's a red card that says Tundra on it. I hate it on principle. Well, the art depicts something close to a dumpster fire, so... <laughs> it does. <laughs> it least, really does. At least it's being honest. This card is interesting. Cards that give you mana after you cast them definitely deserve to be paid attention to, evaluated, and considered. Um, I'm kind of hating this, like, deal damage to creatures and planeswalkers theme that they've oh, got yeah. going on here i'm over it face burn is just not happening in this set man i hate re- mono red as much as one can possibly do that and i am over this not going face thing i am i am not happy yeah <laughs> it's hard for me to see where this fits in the free man is nice it's nice oh i think it's a pretty f- sweet card what are you going to do with the free mana? It's three colorless. colorless. Okay, there was I've seen raging debates on this. Is that colorless Here mana snow, color, snow mana or not? Okay, you can literally go round and round on this. We did this on Twitch. In a poll, like, it was 60-40. So I'm always going to use that poll for the rest of my life to prove that Twitch chat is always at least 40% wrong and possibly 60% wrong. So that's why you shouldn't listen. But um, here's the, there's this weird line of reminder text. The way that the rules are written, snow mana comes from snow permanence. This is not a permanent. By the current letter of the rules, the mana cannot be snow mana. But there's this line of reminder text that is ominous and it kind of implies that a rule change is coming, which is that snow is mana from a snow source. That is written on the card. And this is a snow sorcery. That's a snow source, if logic means anything. Now, is it source or is it permanent, right? Because aren't the rules written like that if it comes from a snow permanent, it's snow mana? Yes, that's that's what the current rules are written as. Yeah, yeah. But what does that reminder text freaking mean if not that they're going to change the rule? I mean, yeah... And that's the that's the awkward part. You could read it both ways, but if if it's if it does mean that the mana is not snow mana, it's the worst reminder text ever written in the freaking world. That is true. It is very <laughs> it misleading. It is so bad. Very misleading. And the reason this is important is because if it's snow mana, you can use it to charge up Faceless Haven and attack with your four three vigilance mm, after playing the same spell. turn. Yep. Yeah, it could that could if if you're doing specifically that, it could be a pretty big swing. There's also cards that trigger depending on how much snow mana was spent on it that this could be a part of. I so like it matters. It does matter. It could, for example, bring back your um your king from the graveyard tapped. It's another thing that you Yeah, could do. I, your zombie boy, yeah. I guess. 
Your your Grixis zombie reanimator deck. So if you have enough reliable ways to use that generic snow mana, then like the more ways you have to use that that are actually good, that actually do things that you want to do, the better this card gets. Well, the more you want that rule to be yeah. the way that you want it to be. <laughs> because it might just be generic mana. Yep. That's that's a good it's a good point. I'm not like an instant buyer on this card, but if if it works the way we want it to, and if there are enough things to do with the mana, then this could go on to become a fantastic card. The other thing I want to say about it is that the the flavor text is just it's just something else. The only thing that smells worse than troll is burnt troll, which I expect CGB to be telling his chat from now on. This next card. Uh, I'm going to read it only because if we have the uh, innkeeper for Fortel, then a card like this could be interesting. Scorn Effigy. Artifact creature scarecrow that costs three generic mana. It is a 2-3. Here's the interesting thing. It has Fortel zero. A 2-3 for two is just not good enough for standard, so I'm not going to like try to sell anyone on that. But if we're getting some other kind of benefit from foretelling then this card could be interesting. And this is definitely a card that drives home the point that you cannot pay a foretell cost and cast the card on the same turn. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you have to play it on... If you foretell it on turn two, you have to play it on turn three. So let me ask you this, CGB. What kind of a payoff would be enough of a payoff to make us want to put this card in a constructed deck. Would it be I mean, drawing a the card? The Fortell Edgewall Innkeeper, I guess. Yeah, draw a card. Yeah. If it was like Scry, that wouldn't be good enough. Copy the spell. Supposing we reduced the cost of foretelling to uh, one mana. Nope. Nope. So a one mana nope. two three wouldn't be good enough. Nope. Not not turn three or later. Nope. Okay. Anytime I see like a free cost on something, especially a colorless something, it just, I don't know, I, I take note of it. So this card probably won't show up in Constructed at all, unless there's some kind of busted foretell thing. Oh, this card. Oh, God. This freaking card. Oh, and it's my turn. It's your turn. We can split it up if you want. <laughs> oh, this is my honor. All right, I'll, I'll let CGB take this one. I'm going to read. I have the great pleasure of reading to you Kazima, God of the Voyage, two and a blue legendary creature god, 2-4, at the beginning of your upkeep. You may exile Kazima. If you do, it gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. If Kazima is exiled... You may put a voyage counter on it. If you don't, return Kazima to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and draw X cards where X is the number of voyage counters on it. The other side of Kazima is the Omenkiel. The Omenkiel is a one blue three three legendary artifact vehicle and it has crew one. Whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles that many cards from the top of their library. You may play lands from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled. I, if, if you didn't get all that, 
I understand. I read this card four times before even trying to process oh like what gosh. a play pattern with this card might be like. Yeah, this this card is like a voyage of play design unto itself. I mean, geez. Let's start with the vehicle. So the Omen Keel, it's a 3-3 three, three for 2. You do need to crew it, but it crews with a creature with any power at all. Now, here's what I missed about this card when I first read it was that you play your the defending player's lands off of this card, which is super weird. So basically, if, if you attack with this and it hits the opponent for three, they exile three cards off the top of their library, and then you can play any lands that were among cards exiled with this for the rest of the game, which is pretty gas, I think. Yes, and whether or not the Omen Keel is on Lips, the battlefield. Exactly. Yep. So this thing is definitely helping you hit land drops. How useful those land drops are for your particular deck is very, you know, dependent. Oh, oh, oh no, it's not, because you have Kazima in your deck. I mean, that's Every true. land drop is Every useful. Every land drop is useful, right? And it's at least going to generate generic mana if you can't use the colored mana. Okay, so that's super spicy. This card is already interesting. I, I mean, if you hit even once and get one land off of this, like, that's pretty gas, I think. It's a really good Ophidian, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's weird, but it's gassy for sure. Yeah, two mana, three, three, that when it hits draw a card is freaking nice. I mean, if this thing hits, like, two lands, aren't you just doing it? Yeah, you did it. You did it. Here's the next question. Oh no, okay. It doesn't it doesn't work with the DFC lands. I was about to get excited. That is correct. Yeah, okay. It, it it only works with the DFC lands that would be lands on the front. Right. Okay. Is there anything else we want to say about this before we think about, about the, the other side? About the Almen Keel? Yeah. The, the vehicle? Yeah. Um it's whenever any vehicle you any vehicle damages a player. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when they reprint your smuggler's copter. Oh baby. Give it to me. I might sell my soul at a crossroads to get Smuggler's Copter reprinted into standard. <laughs> the the world would hate you for I it. I might do it. I I would take the hate if I if I got to just have that sweet week to play it before I got banned. Yeah, the, so the Omen Keel is super weird, super interesting, fairly powerful effect overall, I would say. So then Cosima, what's the play pattern with Cosima? So we play Cosima on three. And then mm -hmm. at the beginning of the next upkeep, we probably choose to exile Cosima, because why wouldn't you? Unless we're completely losing on board, need the blocker for some reason, yeah. don't have a wrath in hand. Right, exactly. So if we do, then basically every land you play until you decide to, to um, pull her in on your upkeep draws you an extra card and makes her bigger when she comes back, right? Eventually, yes. So... Uh, there's a lot of weirdness going on here. So first of all, it says one thing that I've heard people say is that like if they agonize and remorse this, you just start charging it up and bringing it back. That doesn't work. It only it, gains the ability if you did it if on you upkeep. Yeah. Yep. If you do it to its own trigger on upkeep. So that's important. Then, so assuming that we get Kazima exiled, every time we play a land, we're basically storing up. An, the ability to draw a card on a future turn. So every time we drop a land triggers that ability. That means if you were to Fabled Passage 
You, get you could to. activate this ability on your opponent's turn and return Kazima at instant speed as a blocker and draw the cards. Wait, is that how it works? Yes. Is, isn't this still the beginning of your upkeep, though? No. Oh, you do it when you make the land drop. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, if you have a Fabled Passage, you are threatening to bring the Kazima out of exile, draw cards, and have that blocker. Yeah, and it and it comes in at, like, minimum a 3-5, which is a good blocker. Yeah, can you imagine this with Growth Spiral? Oh, just, just out of nowhere? Gross. It, there's probably other cards like Marasa Root Grazer that people can mention that can do it. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Sorry, CGB. I, let's just give a modest scenario, okay? We play this on turn three. We exile it on turn four and make a land drop. Uh, on turn five, we make another land drop. And then let's say on turn six, we make another land drop. And at that point, we bring it back. We essentially spent three mana to get a 4-6 that could flash in at, at, I guess, land speed or instant speed if we have a Fabled Passage, and it draws us two cards. Mm -hmm. So that's just very gassy. Dude, pretty good Mole Drifter, right? Very, very good. Yeah. Can, can we mention that when it returns to the battlefield, it's not counterable? Like, yes. it's an uncounterable ability. Correct. And if the opponent responds with removal, you still get the cards. Yep. That is also correct. Now, if your opponent has Vorinclax in play, <laughs> then um, you get half the that's cards, interesting, right? right? You get half is the it? cards. Is Maybe. It? I don't know. It says, where X is the number of voyage counters on it, I believe if you put the counters on it before then... Then it just it comes just, in with them? Then it, yeah, it enters with the counters. It doesn't gain the counters. Interesting. We'd have to double-check the rules. Judge! I, I think that you still would get the cards that you stored up i think so yeah well i mean i'm liking what i'm hearing here it's admittedly you kind of took turn three off i guess you can block with it the next turn if you yeah, think it's gonna you can block with it so if you if you cast this on three and it does effectively hold your opponents like robber of the rich back or whatever and then you exile it on turn four you're well on your way to just getting paid on on having invested your mana in this thing Let's, let's say you wrath the I, board. I was just going to say, that. that's a really <laughs> solid play pattern, right? Is you exile this, oh, yeah. you play a land, you get the counter, you wrath, and you kind of win on the spot from there, don't you? Like, it's your opponent's going to have. Seems like it. They're going to have such a hard time not only continuing to commit pressure to the board, but outscaling your big creature and the, the card advantage that you're going to get when this thing comes back. Let's say that, but let's assume. For the sake of talking it through, let's assume that we don't bring it back and just start winning the game. Let's say the game continues a bit. Say that we drew three cards off our Cosmino when it came back. Like we played land and we played Fabled Passage and we brought it back. What are the odds that we have some land in our hand? Pretty good, right? We probably drew some land. Next upkeep, we can exile Cosima again and start oh, charging can we? again. Yes, we can. Oh, dude, I did not think about that. It can just keep. <laughs> that is messed up, bro. Kazima adds, especially as something that might stick around through the game, it even adds to the ability to, sorry for the pun, try not to snicker, Arjuna, play with itself. Oh, my Because gosh. if you have two of them, you can play Omen Kill on one. Yeah. You can play Kazima on, or Omen Kill on two. Kazima on three, crew the Omen Kill. 
on you can crew at instant speed. So on the upkeep trigger before you exile Kazima, you can activate the Omen Keel again mm-hmm. and then exile Kazima, attack with the Omen Keel, mm-hmm. and then the Omen Keel can chill until Kazima comes back in the future as well. Here's another thing you can do. You can cast one Kazima, phase it out, then cast another Kazima, right? And as yes. as long as the two aren't the on on the battlefield at the same time, it's cool. You're still getting paid on them. Oh, yeah. Plus, they both gain from the landfall yeah, triggers. Exactly. If you want to, you can bring them both back at the same time. You will still draw all of the cards. You will. You'll legend rule one of them, but you'll draw all of the cards. Yeah. But you, you could just have a nice little, like, rotate, little rotunda of Cosimas going on. You could have, like, one Omen Kill in play and three Cosimas just rotating in and out of exile. <laughs> For me, the only question on this card is can we take turn three off to do it? Yeah. That's the only question I have. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, dies to uh, removal. It's kind of rough on this. But the window is so short. It like, is short. Their window is so small that it almost demands that they take the turn to kill it. Just the front side of this card seems, like, incredibly powerful to me. And your opponent is going to feel so garbage, like having to point an Elspeth Conquer's death or something at this card, right? If they don't kill it, it's like you got a Nissa Vital Force Emblem for three mana. (laughs) If you remember that card from... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you just draw a card for every land you play. Yeah, Yeah, this, this card seems like borderline busted to me. It's probably easy to overestimate like all of the good scenarios and to underestimate the bad scenarios, but I just think like if this is fitting into your deck's game plan, and if the omen kill ends up being a playable card, this just seems like a freaking slam dunk to me. I just think this card and Fable Passage are busted. Yeah. I think that's insane. And I don't mean because you draw two cards. I mean because you bring it back on your opponent's turn in right. combat in response to whatever yeah i mean it's draw cards and make a huge body for for no mana investment agreed yeah agreed i feel like if you expect the game to go long this this is just like the ultimate over the top like go over the top card i mean it has to resolve it has to stick but oh man if both if both players get this thing cooking like what a grind i know think about this cgb like think about you're in a control matchup and your opponent manages to stick one of these early and you didn't get one you just lose on the spot right feels like it yeah i mean if you don't kill it like i said the window is really small yeah Uh, sublime epiphany can counter the trigger the trigger so that's good to know yeah no 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 but if they do you just play another land and then it just wait is that how it works if you don't, return it to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. Draw X cards, or X is the number of voyage counters on it. Yeah. So if they counter You just that, don't get the counter. If they counter that, then that trigger goes on the stack. They cancel it. It doesn't return from exile, and then you just do it next time? Like next well, land? Well, the trigger goes on the stack. So you play a land, and the yeah. trigger goes on the stack, and they have to choose whether or not to interact with it. Okay. Okay, if they choose not to, then you choose yes or no. If you choose yes, counter, nothing comes in the battlefield. If you choose no, straight to the battlefield. No opportunity to stop it. That's so brutal, dude. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's so brutal. (laughs) And again, the draw X cards is a part of that. There isn't another trigger to draw the cards. 
You can't stop it. So the the only way to stop this is Ashiok Ultimate. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Note though that if you do that, you just get a two for, for three. Yeah, good job. Okay, well, this card, I mean, I was excited about this card before I thought about all the possibilities. Now I'm just like doubly, triply excited about this card. Yeah, I think this card is gas. It gas. is a beautiful card in yep. my world. So beautiful. Yeah, and it potentially could be extremely busted, could be just unbelievably infuriating to play against. Okay, this next card, I think you will be... Uh, I'm sure you've at least considered this card. Gates of Istfel, land. Gates of Istfel enter the battlefield tapped. You tap it to add one white mana, and you pay two white blue-blue. Tap, sacrifice Gates of Istfel, you gain two life, and draw two cards. Surely you must be interested in this card. I'm not. You're not? Nope. Um, I was not a Memorial to Genius guy. Okay. Yeah. I was much more into the castles. I was much more into just any other way to use the mana. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need to be into this. And I think tap lands are a very big cost. I, I think the land space is really crowded between castles and temples and fabled passage and like there's a lot of potential to do extra stuff with your lands and there's also a lot of potential to play three straight tap lands and die mm-hmm. that's fair if i ran it i would run one yeah you definitely don't want to be running this and other tap lands and it's true it doesn't it doesn't like proc your castles it doesn't really do anything for you it's also amazing how, how just giving up a land, being down a land, it matters it can way matter. later in the game than it yeah, should. Yeah, yeah, it can matter. That's true. Maybe this is just a boomer card, you know? But I definitely think this looks like the most playable of the cycle to me so far. Okay. I mean, I could live with that because I'm not impressed with them very much. Yeah. I think that this card is good, but I agree with you. It might just not be as good as other lands slash other things that you could be doing with your mana, etc., etc. Okay, does the uh, is it land in the cycle? Certland Frostfire or something? Uh, ETB's tap taps for red. You can pay two blue, blue, red. Tap, sacrifice this. Scry two. Then it deals two damage to each creature. Activate this ability only time you can cast a sorcery. I mean, little two-mana Wrath on your land? Still not good enough? I think this is the best one. Yeah, you like this one? Okay. I, there's there's a lot more, like, board impact, and, I mean, it depends, right? It does... It, is anybody building a board with, like, three or four one-ones in the late game? It seems more like people are building boards with three or four four-four flying vigilance in the yeah. late game. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I still think this card has some potential. It is... They see it coming, and the fact that's a sorcery, sorcery. is pretty nerfed. Yeah, sorcery sucks pretty nerfed. for sure. Um, I agree. I mean, it's a powerful effect, and if you get to kill multiple things with this, you're going to feel pretty good about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I like that they're exploring... This is kind of like DFCs, where they're just exploring lands that do other things for you. Read this saga for us. Nico defies destiny. One white-blue for an enchantment saga. One, you gain two life for each foretold card you own in exile. Two, add white and a blue. Spend this mana only to foretell cards or cast spells that have foretell. Three, return target card with foretell from your graveyard to your hand. 
It's got it's got life gain, mana cheat, and it replaces itself. I don't know. I, I, this is I, like I think it's really lame that the card is called Defies Destiny, but it basically scripts itself that you have to play in such a perfect sequence as yeah. to have no destiny. Yeah. I, this is like one of the weaker, in my opinion, one of the weaker sagas I've seen in this set so far. Yeah. I don't know. Like, is this really worth it? You have to foretell on turn two. Mm-hmm. And you're going to spend turn three gaining two life and doing probably nothing else. Mm-hmm. I'm off it. I, I, yeah. like, I, I, I admit that your turn four is going to be sexy. You're going to play Behold the Multiverse, Scry two, draw two, and you're going to cast Shatter the Sky in a perfect world, right? Mm-hmm. And then on chapter three, you get back Behold the Multiverse, and you made a lot of mana and did a lot of things. But I just can't live in a world where i do nothing for that many turns wait what's behold the multiverse uh glimmer of genius with foretell oh okay right can we cast we can cast alron's epiphany with this on turn four can't we yes you can make two birds and take an extra turn seems fair considering you threw two turns in the garbage and then the next turn you can get your alron's epiphany back no it exiles itself oh it exiles itself all right, yeah. I'm so on that play pattern, you get literally nothing back. I'm off it. <laughs> yeah, this, I think this card's hot garbage. We have yet another saga here. Arnie slays the troll. Costs a red and a green. Very, very cheap saga. Target creature you control fights up to one target creature you don't control. That's the first chapter. Second chapter, add one red mana. Put two plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature you control. Chapter 3, you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. Yeah, I'm in for this card. Maybe it just, maybe you can't fit it into your deck, but like, worth two mana? Absolutely. Ugh, nah. You're not into this card? Oh, so it's a fight, it's not a bite, and you don't get a plus one plus one counter like Domri's Ambush would give. So you have to outsize to be relevant, and the cre- you have to have a creature the next turn to gain the counters for that to be relevant. I mean, when's the last time you played with Domri's Ambush and the counter wasn't relevant? Like that, It's one of the key parts of the card to make sure you kill what you need to kill. I don't know, man. I think in a format with like a bunch of Lovestruck Beasts and stuff, like... So this is your turn four with a Lovestruck Beast? It, like You have the Henge, you have Embercleave, you have... Such better, you have primal might. Yeah, I mean that—that's the thing. I'm—I'm I'm not disputing that this card might not fit into your deck. I just think that like it's—I think it's worth two mana. That's—that's—that's <laughs> that's, that's what I'm giving you with this card. Because I, I, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm with you. Like, I don't—I don't quite see where this fits in in the current meta. Like, I don't know that you can find space in your deck to play this. You probably just have some higher impact things to be doing. And Primal Might is probably just a better card than this. I think First I Rowing Games is a better card than this, if I'm being honest. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I think that this, like, uh, yeah, I think this card is decent. If you kill your opponent's creature and then it ramps you and you get two plus one plus one counters, gas, dude. What a great card. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off this one. Okay. Like, I don't think this one is even close. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just not good enough as standard. 
Finn the Fangbearer is one in a green for a 1-3 death touch human warrior that is legendary. Whenever a creature you control with death touch deals combat damage to a player, that player gains two poison counters. Oh, a player with 10 snap. or more poison counters loses the game. Damn, poison is back. Had no idea. There you go. Wow. How about that? Wow. So, what do you think of Death Touch Tribal for the purpose of poison? I mean, poison has proved itself to be a strong mechanic when the creatures get through and do the thing. So here's the thing. It's locked in at two per hit, no matter how much damage you do. So you need to get five hits in with a Death Touch creature to seal the deal. In theory, yep. Unless you have Vor and Clex. <laughs> yes, that is a big one. But I kind of feel like if you have Vor and Clex in play, you might have better things to be doing than hitting your opponents with random death touch creatures. Okay, do you remember the saga? Oh my gosh. The- oh, Hold creatures on. I want to say the name. get death touch until end of turn. Yeah. The saga Binding of the Old Gods mm-hmm. is two in a black and a green to destroy target non-land permanent. Chapter 2 searches for a land. And chapter three is creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. Conveniently, it ramps you into Vorinclex and gives your creatures death touch. That's that that chapter three. All my creatures gain death touch. I play Vorinclex. I attack. That's scary. That's that could kill you out of nowhere. This is no Ink Moth Nexus. <laughs> That's for I, sure. I, it's true i mean this card is very conditional and if it dies of course nothing happens but i think it's just cool that they brought poison counters back without the infectability and it makes some of the death touch stuff seem more relevant and now we have to think about the card because it's also a cheap legend and there's a lot of legends matter stuff going on it's true it's also you know blocks love struck beast doesn't die to bone crusher it's true. Um, boy, rogues might really not like for you to resolve this against them, right? Rogues? Yeah, rogues. Why? Okay, so think about this. The only card in their deck which can like profitably block this thing is the uh, the one drop. Why, why do I keep forgetting the name of that thing? Thieves Guild Enforcer. The Thieves Guild Enforcer, right? So the Thieves Guild Enforcer can block and trade with this. Most of their other stuff can't until like later in the game. The Crab doesn't block it. So imagine like you're playing Rogues, your opponent just plays this on turn two. Now, okay, Rogues plays a fair amount of removal. So fair. They could just kill it, but they could just kill any of your creatures, right? But like if they don't, like they can't really block this thing and it's just going to give them two poison counters a turn. Okay, look. I'm not saying this is any better of a scenario than the one that you just outlined with the saga, but it's just something. You're just excited about a two-mana play that make, that makes rogues kill it. Okay, I mean, sure, sure. I think that anybody who's played enough standard on Arena knows that rogues starts the game with three drown in a locks in their opening hand, but yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, what's, what's good against rogues? Whatever. All right, uh, next card needs to be translated. Um, So this is some kind of big elephant creature, affectionately dubbed Big Stabby by Scryfall. (laughs) So so this is three green green, five mana for a creature elephant at Mythic. 
So this is kind of, we're expecting this to be our Elder Gargaroth of the set. This thing has Trample. Whenever a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. So this has a Shaper's Sanctuary stapled to it. And uh, you can cast it for two green green if you foretold it previous on a previous turn. Okay, just off the dome. Better or worse than Elder Gargaroth? For five mana, I think it's worse. Agree. It's definitely interesting that it's whenever a permanent you control, not just Battle Mammoth here. Yep. So this is definitely first in line for the removal spell. I, I suppose it, it forces their hand. If you have something else that you want to be around, this is what they have to deal with. It also says ability, which is very important. They got away from saying spell and ability for a while. It was just spell, and then Elspeth Conquer's Death just tore everything <laughs> yeah. that had that text to pieces yeah so the only way for them to deal with this without you drawing a card is a counter it or b do some kind of wrath or non-targeted effect that kills it i think so yeah i guess sacrifice can also hit it death touch creature yeah that's true actually death touch mm -hmm. but in general annoying to have to deal with and difficult to deal with profitably I'm trying to think of what the deck is that doesn't want to play anything on turn two to get this on turn four, and then like drawing a card when it eats the two mana spell from your opponent anyway. Like the Heartless Act is the thing that you wanted, but you gave up two mana to do it. See, I that just doesn't sound good because it feels to me that if you're going to go toe to toe with somebody who's removing your stuff, you need to pressure them throughout the game. Yeah, it's a cool card. I, I I'm not. Why am I not excited? Okay, so this doesn't have the sideboard ability of Elder Gargaroth. Elder Gargaroth is just like a nice... It's like nice against aggro. It's great against mono red. It's good against various aggro-y creature decks, especially ones like Gruul that might not have any single card in that deck that just kills it. And it gains you life, which can be really relevant when you're playing your five mana card. Um, so this this has none of the benefits of the Elder Gargaroth. So it's just a, a, a totally different threat. It's also kind of rough that... So one of the nice things about Shaper's Sanctuary, which is basically that first ability on an enchantment, is that it costs one green mana. So you play it before you play any of your creatures. And then for the rest of the game, your opponent is in this awkward calculus where they don't want to point their, their kill stuff at your creatures if they can help it. So this is kind of showing up to the party late. Like your opponent has already had a chance to kill every other creature you played before this. This is probably the top of your curve. So um, so the effect essentially protects the elephant. Now, I mean, we all know that boards can get clogged. We all know that, for example, you know, Gruul has shown us that, like, they might end up with a bunch of creatures on the board. They might end up with one or more innkeepers in play. If you have this elephant down and your opponent has to let you draw a card every time they kill your innkeeper, that's going to feel pretty bad for them. So it's not that I can't assemble scenarios in which this card is very annoying. Uh, it's priced to move. I mean, it's a fairly big creature. It has trample. I like all of that. It doesn't have vigilance, and it doesn't have reach, which are two things the Gargaroth has somehow. So in the end, I'm still kind of thinking this is probably isn't as good as the Gargaroth, but it does uh, die to Doomblade a lot better than the Gargaroth does. 
I think the play pattern with this that makes that gets me excited is that if you foretell it or you play it on turn six or seven and you have available the Rangers Guile type card, like just just blow them out when they do have to go to kill it. I think what scares me the most is that if you're in a green mirror, then the Great Henge and Embercleave go way over the top of this card. Like, who cares if you drew a card or played a 6-5 if either of those things are going on for the opponent? So you have to be able to spar with that, which means you probably need your own uh, of those cards or ways to deal with them. So I think this card is interesting. It does make me want to play, like, hexproof or counter-type effects to really punish the opponent so that you draw multiple cards from it instead of one. Kind of the Niv-Mizzet conundrum where... You get Niv-Mizzet down, then you start the the battle over Niv-Mizzet, and you draw a bunch of cards because of the battle. Supposing we have like um like a like a Tima deck with like this and the the gold span dragon or whatever, and we're playing like big threats that we're taxing our opponent to deal with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, there you that go. That could be kind of fun. It could be. I, don't know if I it's just think good. it's worse. I think it's worse than current gruel is yeah. the problem in my head. That's kind of what it's I'm a little slower. Too. Yeah, I, that might be post rotation gruel for sure. I think that this ultimately, I think this card is less versatile than Elder Gargaroth, which is a point against it. Um, imagine if this card just cost the Fortel cost. Like, imagine if this was just two green green for the card. Like, how how good would it be? Uh, I um, I think it'd be very good, but mm, I don't know. It's like, would it be it, best situational, right? I, I I think so, but mm-hmm. I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. It's so situational. It is. Who this, went first? What's the rest of the cards like? This yeah. is a very very hard card to evaluate. So I guess it all depends on like how does the stat line line up with the format? What's the plan of your deck? Etc. 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 Interesting Agreed. though. Interesting card. Yeah. Powerful card. No, no questions. Powerful card. All right. We don't have the full translation, so we're going to call this one horrible encounter. Two black black sorcery creatures that aren't the creature type of your choice get minus three minus three until end of turn. So it's kind of like a different take on witch's vengeance. Yep, and a bit of a nerfed languish, but if you're tribal, it dodges your tribe. So I back in my duels days, I always made fun of people who put languish in their elf decks <laughs> because it was actually a pretty normal thing to do. It was a small card pool. It was only a, like a third of Magic Origins was that game for a period of time. And people would run elf decks with languish in it because elves was so popular. They're like, well, if you're in the mirror, you have languish. Um, but this is like the languish you can put in your elf deck that doesn't seem bad. Sideboard? Sideboard for sure. Uh, kills everything in rogues. It's nice. Except for Zareth, I guess. Yeah, if if they even run that, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, just as long as you don't name Rogue, you're. But you could run this in Rogues against other tribal right, decks, right? Right. Yeah. And name Rogues. That's 
really good. You might lose a crab here and there, but you'll get it back. Okay, so how good is it against the rest of the creature decks in the format? Probably not that good against Gruel, maybe? maybe? I don't I, Maybe. I mean, this It's could... good against everything but questing, but, but um, Love Shark Beast. Beast. Yep, yeah. That, that, so that maybe that's enough. Critter. Maybe that's enough. Yeah. Uh, is it better than Extinction Event? Not in a deck that doesn't have creatures. It's better than Extinction Event in a deck that wants to play a creature on turn one, two, and three, and then set up a way to win. So yeah, if there's any kind of low to the ground elves or like warrior aggro deck or whatever, this card could be very good. Yeah, yeah. Rogues, uh, clerics is kind of striking me as interesting because they usually don't have a good way to keep the board from getting ugly. Warriors, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with this. I think it's going to be worth trying. Spirits, we'll see. I don't remember black spirits, but who knows? Yeah, it could be good against spirits, I guess. Yeah, okay. It's, it's a card in the format. It probably shows up somewhere. These cards tend to at some point. Okay, so we have this uh, this rare angel here. It is codenamed Glorious Protector. We don't actually know what it's called, but it is two white white for a creature angel cleric 3-4. Flash flying. So it's what that flash angel you were referring to earlier. When this card enters the battlefield, you may exile any number of non-angel creatures you control until Glorious Protector leaves the battlefield, and you can foretell this for two and a white. Interesting card. Oh my goodness! You, I feel like you have plans for this card, so I'm just I'm gonna let I'm gonna let CGB go. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awesome, right? It's it's um. It's multiple blinks on one card, but even if you blink one thing with it, you're probably doing pretty good. Blink a Skyclave Apparition. Blink a Baron Talarian Archmage. Blink a Charming Prince. Just blink something that gives you a little bit of value. And when this leaves the battlefield, you get it back and you trigger your Enter the Battlefield ability again. And you can blink this with Yorian. Yeah, it's a combo with Yorian. Is it a combo with anything else? When it comes back, you, you exile the Yorian. Right. So the Yorian comes back after this dies. So if the opponent does anything to it, you Yorian loop again. That's that's crazy. So let let's just say like uh you did like turn two omen of the sea or the tome, turn three apparition, turn four, mm-hmm. you exile both of those things. You can't exile enchantments. Oh, That's the okay. biggest problem with it. It's only non-angel creatures. Oh, okay, non-angel creatures. So it's just the apparition, I guess. Apparition and Yarian. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you want to bring back Charming Prince or if there's any good other two and three mana blinkable cards. Like, that's... You don't seem impressed. I, no, I'm not. Did you play with Restoration Angel? No, I didn't. Really? You didn't. No. Okay, I I lived the Restoration Angel. It was before my time. Life. So did was rest? Did Resto have this ability? No, it the, was a blink, the big difference. Yes, yeah. The big difference with Resto was that it didn't stay exiled. Yeah. So we we need to just. I just really need for you to stress that you don't get the stuff back until this leaves the battlefield. So this isn't a blink. This is like a what is this? This is like a layaway. Yeah, you banishing lit your own stuff. Right. So it's not that I can't think about scenarios in which this would be good, but I think that that conditionality makes it a lot worse than just a blink. 
I don't know. You have so much control over it. It has flash. Like, you can do it in response to removal. You can do it in response to a board wipe. You can do it after blocking is declared. Like, there's so many ways you can do it. And if you're playing if you're playing the deck with Thassa and Yorian or a sweeper of your own that can kill it, then you c- kind of dictate where and how the value moves, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the creature clause is kind of tough. It has to be creatures. I do like that play pattern you set, like, for example... You know, you played some white weenies, you're getting in there on the turn, your opponent's wrathing, you're flashing this in and protecting the team kind of a thing. That's, that's, that's something. <laughs> that, that, but, but that's like, that's one of the utility things about it. That's nice. Um, but I mean, we don't want to be using it as that. That's just like a heroic intervention. And we kind of talked about the drawbacks of that. But I mean, you don't have to exile anything. You can just play this and beat down. You can just play this in ambush. Yeah, it's true. Like those, those things matter a lot. Yeah, it's it's, it's a four drop, you know. You seem completely unimpressed. I, I'm, yeah, I have to. I'm say. going to destroy you with this. Card. Okay, Just and prove it's me not going to be close. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Do it. You're going to get wrecked. You remember the settle the wreckage effect? Yes. Dude, anything with three toughness or less has to now go through the settle the wreckage effect with this card. I mean, I agree. Nothing that you said is like wrong or bad, all right? I just like, I don't know how much space we have in our aggressive decks for like these four. Like, this is no Archangel Avison, right? It might be better. Oh, come off it. <laughs> come off it. Oh, man. You haven't played enough with a card like this. No, I guess I haven't. I, I'm open to being wrong, but this this doesn't immediately impress me. No, it doesn't. We didn't even talk about the foretell. Like, if, if you foretell a card on turn two and then just pass with three open, can they really attack into this? It's such a blowout waiting to happen if they don't have, like, the perfect instant speed deal four damage removal. Are you playing this in the same deck that you're playing that one white white flash detention dude? I might. Just like <laughs> mono flash get him cards? That's not a terrible idea either because if you, you exile that, that and get, if you exile that, you give them back the creature that you originally exiled, mm-hmm. but maybe now you wrath the board or target it with an ECD mm-hmm. and you freed your creature. How good is this with Niambi? That's a good question. I don't think it's particularly great. Because I don't think that Niambi's. Let's see. If you put the triggers, if you put the trigger on the stack, I'm trying to think of tricks with it that I'm. I don't think I'm going to get there. But I think Niambi's just kind of bad, really bad, in my opinion. Baron. Yeah, Baron was something that uh, I, I mentioned earlier on, and that is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll be interested to see what you do with this card, CGB. And uh, maybe maybe I will end up respecting it. We will see. We will see. Okay. Litjara Mirror Lake. ETBs tapped. Taps for a blue. It is a land. Two green, green, blue. Sac- tap and sacrifice Litjara Mirror Lake. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, except it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. Oh, that seems pretty gas to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The sorcery part makes me cringe. Yeah, the sorcery part, it kind of sucks on all these cards. 
It's not on all of them. Uh, there are a not? lot of them without. I guess it. the blue one. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There are several that uh, don't say that, but the ones that do, it kind of throws me sometimes. Like this one in particular would be really cool. It would be um, cool as an instant. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Am I going to play it? I don't know, but I just like it. It tickles me. I wonder what you plan to copy. What 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 what's the bee's knees to target with the mirror lake? Probably like an expensive card, you know, like a <laughs> yeah yeah like uh like the elephant we just read okay two two elephants yeah go ahead target my stuff yeah right come at me bro come at us come at me elder gargaroth taste tusk (laughs) i don't know man i'm i'm reaching you are okay take us into this saga ascent of the worthy is one white and black Enchantment Saga. Chapters 1 and 2 are the same. So, choose a creature you control until your next turn. All damage that would be dealt to creatures you control is dealt to that creature instead. And then you do it again. Wow. And then chapter 3 is return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. That creature is an angel warrior in addition to its other types. Dude. This card is weird. It yeah. Um, <laughs> on curve, it's bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. Because what is the two drop that you're going to redirect all damage mm-hmm. to? The O six ox. We did of it. Of course, we really did it. Yeah, your O four from Birth of Melitus is an option. That's but true. Like, what are you? But you're not doing like curving that damage? into this and profiting. <laughs> I I mean, you could, but what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, what damage is happening? It's, this card is weird because it's not a turn three card at all. No, it's really not. Is this a combo with Tor Elf? What? Tor Elf, Tor Elf. The, the excess Why? damage, dude? Come on. Because think about it. <laughs> if it's all damage is redirected to that one creature, it's going to be a lot of overkill, right? You but it's, just... it's, not co- it's non-combat, right? Yeah, non-combat. So it has to be non-combat, but you know. I don't know, man. I'm just this. This card is so weird. Like it I is. just don't. I'm tempted to just completely write it off. But I'll be fully honest. I'm like I haven't like thought through all of the various possibilities. But like, is this gonna consistently do anything for anyone? Don't like. Doesn't your opponent just play around this? I've. I think I've got nothing mm-hmm. to be honest. I. Mm-hmm. I. There is some Yorian nonsense here where you can just keep resetting it and then mm. if it ever hits chapter three you get another yorian anyway this is a certain kind of like this doesn't read your creatures get indestructible until end of turn however you could definitely just like you know make your doggo take the fall or whatever right like so let's say you're playing like some kind of an aggro deck a white weenie deck that doesn't exist and may not exist while this card isn't standard but Let's say that you curved out, you have like a nice curve, and you just want to keep smashing your opponent's face. And this card is going to make it awkward for them to declare blocks because, you know, you can just... You know what I mean? Like, you can redirect all of that combat damage to a single creature. Okay, if you have an active Heliod, you can just attack every turn and not care how they block. Totally. That's a very good point because it's indestructible. For two turns in a row, yeah. It does have to be animated. Yeah, it has to be animated, right? But this helps animate it. A seasoned Hollow Blade. Seasoned Hollow Blade's a good example. Yep. 
discard a card and just take all of the damage right. for a couple of turns in a row. Right. So I think I think that's the trick with this card, I think, is that you're trying you're probably just trying to get into the red zone and punish your opponent for blocking. I mean, if there's that much like if red is that big a part of the format, then I suppose because it's terrible against exile effects, it's terrible against Ugin. Yeah. Yeah, it so oof. It's an interesting card. Mm-hmm. I now that I think of that it takes all the damage, including the combat damage creatures deal to your creatures. Yeah. Like that's kind of wild. It's something. I this is one of those cards where like I don't necessarily think it deserves a spot in your deck. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's probably just bad. I think other cards in the spot are bad, so wouldn't you rather just anthem instead? I'm done. I, my brain doesn't work with this card. All right. Yeah, I don't I don't think this card's particularly good. You spoke about the Ark, so let's mention Colossal Plow. It's also yeah, CGB's <laughs> heads in his hands. No, I'm j- there's got to be a joke about the Colossal Plow. Yes. Yes. Is the name of a card. There have been many off-color jokes about oh, Colossal no. Plow. Yes, there have been. So, we're just going to leave that where it is. <laughs> It's a Colossal Plow. It costs two colorless mana. It's a 6-3 artifact vehicle at Uncommon. Whenever Colossal Plow attacks, add three white mana and you gain three life. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. And the crucial part of this card is that it crews for six. So, made for each other. So, you put this in the deck with your Ox. You swing for six on turn. I guess it's four. And then you profit. Three. No, it has you to be play f- this on two, you play the ox on three. Oh, right? that's right. And you cure it immediately. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So, and, and you have four mana to use. You add a bunch of mana, you gain some turn. life. Sure. Can also be crewed by two hollow blades. You did it. I mean, someone's going to kill me on the ladder with this deck. I just. Oh, and it's when it, it, it is when you attack that you get the, the mana and the life, not when you deal damage. Right, so even if it dies... I guess they could kill it before combat and you feel terrible. Ugh. Oh, I'm already feeling... The feels-bads are already hitting me. I can't imagine this card being a regular player, but it does have the features of some really good cards, like free mana is a thing, and it's low cost. But it's not low cost, because you have to put a lot of tapping of creatures into this and i have trouble picturing this competitively but it's got weird abilities and it's got features of cards that could be good so i guess keep an eye on it i might get surprised by this someday you know this isn't in standard anymore but if you animate this with khan you're kind of doing it aren't you i guess so I give that a eh, eh, okay. Low key, low key I mean, doing it. You can foretell the mammoth and play the mammoth on turn four and animate this and get in there and if they target it get you draw a card. Yeah. Crew six is just so prohibitive. I don't know. There's a three mana six six with death touch in the format. It's true. I don't know, man. This is one of those cards that like looks really bad and then it like shows up somewhere, has its fun in the sun. <laughs> Just plows somebody real good. Please, no plow jokes. 
Please no. All right, all right, all right. Let's 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 move on here. Take us into Ani Brokenbrow. Two and a red for a three-three legendary creature, human berserker with haste and boast. One colorless mana. You may change Ani Broken ba- Broken Brows base power. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one. Uh, broken Ani Broken Bows. <laughs> I, I, if I say it in a goofy voice, I think I'm more likely to get it right. Ani Broken Bows. Broken Bows. It's Broken Bows, mate. Um. Anyway, base power <laughs> is to one plus the greatest power among other creatures you control until end of turn. Um. I'll, I'm gonna try to just. So it's a 3-3 haste, and while it's attacking, if you pay one, if you have a 6-6 in play, Arnie Broken Bow becomes a 7-3, just as an example. Not what's going to happen every time, just an if example. If you had a plow in play, and you, uh, you animated it. Well, it would have to be crude already. Good luck. Um, I'm thinking more of Annex Hardened in the Forge. Mm, yeah. The problem is that they sit at the same spot on the curb. Not exactly. This is a four drop. Okay, I see, I see what you're getting at. Haste and activate at the same turn. So in that world, if like you give a pip to your annex, so if you have another creature in play, this is a 5-3 with haste for four. Is that good enough? No, I don't think so. So, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, turn like this card doesn't turn me on like the, like a colossal plowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh we're haunted we're haunted yeah this card suffers for me this card suffers from not as good as annex and how many three drops do you want to run in your red aggressive deck that's that's those are the hang-ups that i have i also feel like if you call this a four drop like you'd much rather just be dropping tarbran so i it's not that i don't think this card is like something but it just seems worse than the alternatives I really do agree. There's some combo-y stuff you can do with, like, Rimrock Knights and get extra power out of nowhere, but I don't think this is good enough. Okay, note this is a Berserker, so if your deck is getting off on Berserkers, then maybe this card gets better. But yeah, I'm taking the under on this, absolutely. This is a card where it's going to fill up the rare slot in my open packs, and I'm going to be pissed. Okay, this card is interesting. This might be the innkeeper for snow. Frost Augur, one blue mana, snow creature, human wizard, one, two at uncommon. You can tap one snow mana, pay one snow mana and tap this. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a snow card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. So in a dedicated snow deck, this is basically tap one mana, tap this every turn, draw a card. Is that good? Is it? It's okay. It's pretty good. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, the, the Bone Crusher Giant really wants to hit yep, it. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So it is like one of those remove or die things. I think the dangerous, the, the, the problem I have with it is can you fill your snow deck with enough snow permanence and spells, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of good ones. I'm not sure if I've seen enough. Like snow tribal, like your entire sixty is snow. Uh, as much as possible, because yeah. activating this and whiffing sucks. It does suck. Yeah, but I mean, think of the this card with the John Snow Jorn Snow oh, card baby. that untaps it. Yeah, right. Twice a turn. 
So is there enough to make a snow permanent deck? I'm already off it because none of the sagas are snow sagas. So I'm just like, I'm yeah. like not interested in brewing this deck. Yeah, but why didn't they might... make snow sagas? I didn't even think about that. Uh, there, there might be enough though. I mean, I'm not, I'm having trouble thinking of all the potential like snow cards to put in the deck. Right. I mean, they are printing a lot of snow cards. Like, they're definitely giving snow support in this set. Here's one of the problems. I feel like it's probably unlikely that they're going to print snow in another standard set anytime soon. Uh, it snowed a lot at, in the Harry Potter movies, and that's where we're going maybe, next. So. Maybe <laughs> they're going to give us another one? I've, I'm skeptical, right? I, I think that this might be a cannibalized mechanic, right? This might be a one-and-done kind of like the adventures were. We'll see. We might be looking at our version of that. Here's another thing that interests me. I've noticed a lot of these snow cards are uncommon, and I'm wondering if the snow deck is like the cycling or the gates deck of this standard, right? Where they give us a deck with a bunch of uncommons. Now, cycling, of course, was was good. It was very competitive. But the gates deck was like borderline competitive. And I'm wondering if this is like the budget competitive deck of this cycle. Maybe, but the rares look really good. The rares do look pretty good. The snow gods look really good. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, Well, I think Frost Augur is definitely, definitely on the list of cards to try in the snow deck. And I don't know, man. This, I mean, this could just be pay a mana, draw a card for the rest of the game kind of a card. And, um, like, imagine you're a a snow deck playing against control, and you resolve this on turn one, and your control opponent is like, I need to kill that immediately, right? Yeah, thanks, I hate it. Yeah, yeah, they might, I mean, if they can't answer it on turn one, you're already up a card, taste it. And then if you follow it up with another Frost Augur... Your opponent might just quit on the spot. Unless there aren't enough good snow cards. It's in true. which case, it's like, go ahead, look for them. At least you're not drawing cards like Negate that I worry about. Yeah, yeah, could be, could be. So so the real question is, is this closer to an innkeeper or is this closer to just some random draft card? And I guess time will time will tell. All right, we're almost there, CGB. Um, <sighs> next. All right, read, read this uh, Rakdos card for us. Well, I want to tell you, earlier today, uh, after finishing my stream, I raided the one and only most watched Magic player in the world right now, Crokies, and he had a list in front of him, and he was like, CGV, have you seen this card? And he got he he was the one who showed me this card. He was like, look at this. And I was like, oh, yeah. This is Immersterum Predator. Two black, red creature vampiric dragon vampire dragon which let's stop there have we ever had a vampire dragon before yes there is literally a vamp a card called vampiric dragon oh hilarious okay yeah it's it's an eight mana unplayable five five okay well there you go anyway vampire dragon power and toughness three three flying whenever this card becomes tapped exile up to one target card from a graveyard and put a plus one plus one counter on Immersturum Predator. I, I Im, Immersturum. Immersturum. No, there's Immersturum. not another syllable. Immersturum. 
I think. Uh, sacrifice another creature. <laughs> the predator gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. So this card is on its face, you know, a three mana, three, three flyer is not very exciting. You definitely need to play it in a creature deck. It needs to have fodder because if you can sacrifice a creature to it to give it indestructible, every time you do that, you exile up to one. So it doesn't need a target, but up to one card from a graveyard and you get a plus one, plus one counter on it and it can be from any graveyard. So against rogues, you can eat your graveyard. Against the opponent's you can eat the opponent's graveyard if you need to eat their graveyard against Crocs or whatever. So you can tap it to sacrifice a creature at will. So if you get paid when a creature dies, awesome. Uh, having an open-ended sacrifice outlet, like we've seen how good that is from Woestrider and Witch's Oven. That just turns off adventure creatures like Bonecrusher Giant because they can't hit what they want to hit. So that is not to be underestimated. And the fact that you can... So you can also just attack with this. And when it becomes tapped, you exile, you get the plus one, plus one counter. So it's a four, four on the offensive. And if it gets into combat, you can sacrifice a creature to give it indestructible. And like you can just keep going. You can survive board wipes. It, it's got evasion. It, it seems like a really good card for the Rakdos deck. Yeah, it seems like a good card. Um... It has to be the right card for the deck. We need like a Sack Matters deck, which, you know, that such a thing has existed before. Uh, it costing four mana is quite a lot worse than costing three mana, which Woe Strider does. This plays, a... this plays quite well with Woe Strider. Like, you get the free goat. Next turn, you can sack it to keep this alive. That's pretty clean. Yep. Um yeah, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. This this could have like more Corvold to it than we realize. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I love the dragonness of it, because there might be some cool things you can do having some kind of a dragon. I think the fail case for this is just so much exile, right? Skyclave Apparition, Elspeth Conquers Death. But the good news is those cards are white. People say white is terrible. If white isn't terrible, this card has problems. If white remains terrible and everything's about damage and um, gruel and Rakdos and things like that, this card is probably really good. Yeah, no, you are right. This is this is in the worst spot against the white decks in that it's a four mana card that the Apparition can exile and it's a four mana card which Elspeth Conquers Death can exile. So if you get caught in that like squeeze, this card's gonna feel real bad. Um, but I agree, like bought it out, you know? Not yeah, that big yeah. of a deal. And and you just have in, in matchups where things are dying and mm -hmm. they can't kill it, it's just a huge flying threat that grows and hates on graveyard. Yeah. Decent against rogues too, isn't it? Uh it's decent. I, I wouldn't say it's it's not great incredible, but it's really hard for them to deal with if you have two creatures on the board. If you can keep fodder on the board, that's gonna be the other tricky part with yeah. this card. Goes really well with Timurek Calls the Dead, you know? Right. Just curves ooh, that curve is right there. Yeah. It's just like incidental, but you attack your opponent with this, you exile something from your graveyard, that's one less card that the rogues deck has in your graveyard on you. And don't forget, you don't have to attack with it to use the ability. It's an open-ended sacrifice outlet. So this yeah. with the Crowen War and Claim the Firstborn can just sack their creature right, right. away. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I'm I'm going to give pretty good on this one. If I understand this correctly, you can let's see. You can sacrifice the creature you stole from the opponent. It hits their graveyard, then exile it to gain the plus one plus one counter. Oh, right, because you use that to pay a cost. Yeah, yeah that would be gas. I'm down. There you go. I'm yeah. into it. All right, cool. Um, perhaps the kind of card that will put Claim the Firstborn back on the map in standard. Next card, the Raven's Warning. One blue, white, saga at rare first chapter create a 1-1 blue bird creature token with flying you gain two life chapter two whenever one or more creatures you control with flying deal combat damage to a player this turn look at that player's hand and draw a card three you may put a card you own from outside the game on top of your library <laughs> this is wow. a meatball dude this is a meatball okay a few things i want to point out about this Second chapter is one or more, so you only get maximum one card off of the second chapter. So that's the first thing to remember. That makes this a little worse. Yeah. So so let's kind of stack this up, CGB. If you get to make a blue flying creature token and gain two life on the first chapter, and then draw a card off the second chapter, and, you know, looking at your opponent's hand is not nothing and then you get to just wish for whatever you want and put it on top of your library for the third chapter. If all of those three things go off, that sounds pretty worth three mana, right? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I, I love, for some reason, it's the looking at the opponent's hand that I think is going to be the most tilting. Yeah, it's going to be surprisingly <laughs> good because you get oh it for goodness. free. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, so this is why it's... But this is why it's so good in particular, is that you're looking at your opponent's hand to see what they have so that you can make your decision about what you put on the top of your library, right? right. So that's the thing. It's kind of like it gives you that extra information. I mean, this is going to be great against rogues because they can try to mill that card off the top of your library. But if you're playing against rogues and you anticipate that, you could get some kind of escape card or some kind of graveyard card from your sideboard. Mm. And now who's the soccer? That's pretty slick to get an escape <laughs> card, yeah. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm always into best of one ways to access the outside the game yes. sideboard. It's, it's always very fun. I know you like that too. I am a fan. I am a fan. And... I mean, wishing is powerful, and granted, this isn't giving you, like, you don't get card advantage from that part of it, but stacking the top of your deck with the best wish board, you know, wish card from your sideboard for whatever turn you're on is still pretty gas. So as a card in a vacuum, I'm way into this card. I love the art. I love the flavor. I think it's powerful. I think it's really cool. The real challenge is just, like, what deck does this actually fit into, because that's you know, that's that's what I'm not sure about. It's not how I want to spend an early turn. Yeah. You know, making a one one and gaining two life, but Exactly. In a lot of situations where you're under fire and you're under pressure to keep up with the board, and in blue and white in particular, not holding up counter magic can get you in trouble. So it's not a traditional control deck. Is a dance of the manse deck into something like this? I I feel like Elspeth's Nightmare is a lot better. Um, I don't know. It, it is interesting that you could have a wish board that included Dance of the Mance and go get yep. Dance of the Mance and exactly. put it on top of your deck when this is gone. 
So here's the thing, is that Fae of Wishes is so... the granted is so expensive, and it's a great card. I'm not dissing Fae of Wishes, I love that card, I've played so many Fae of Wishes in my life. But like, getting the Wishboard effect at cheaper cost, mm -hmm. and also like, being able to get it a little bit later in the game without having to pay for it later in the game is kind of sick, right? So this could set you up to cast like a really impactful like another saga, like a, I don't know, something like a Kiarabes the Sea God, or just like some big Planeswalker or something on a later turn of the game. So that could be pretty gas. Yeah. Not particularly good if you need like a Wrath from your board, but you still might get a Wrath with this uh, if you're I anticipating mean, that. You get two life, you get a blocker. Maybe it's not that bad either. Maybe it's not that bad. I, there is something kind of nice to spending zero mana for the effect of putting it on top of your deck. If you have an opt, or if you have a shard token from Nico, or you have a maze mind tome, exactly. you can draw it the same turn. And it is kind of interesting that the cards you would fetch would be the cards that are normally clunky in your deck. You're, you're going to have five or six mana if you're curving out well, and you get to draw your five or six mana card when you have five or six mana, not earlier in the game when it wrecks you. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yep. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Plays well with Yorian. Kind of. Think about this. You blink this and then the next turn you attack with Yorian and draw a card. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's me. not the most. You got me. It's not the most epic thing that ever happened, but it's kind of cool, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it might be better than Omen of the Sun. Might I don't be. Know. Might be. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how much of my bias against this card is just that I like it. It doesn't immediately slot into a deck, doesn't immediately seem powerful enough to play, but I just really like it. Yeah, I my Saga's Tribal is going to love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll try it. I'll put this in the deck. I'll try it out. It might be gas. Yes, let's try it. All right, the final card we will read. Oh, my gosh. It's been quite a weekend, CGB. <laughs> so, Dude, we crushed it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So the final card. Why don't you take it away for us? Cosmos Elixir. Four colorless mana. Artifact. At the beginning of your end step, draw a card if your life total is greater than your starting life total. Otherwise, you gain two life. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm struggling to see this one be playable. Do you play this in your life gain deck? Is this a, a curve topper in your life gain deck? I mean, the fact that it's on your end step and not your upkeep is a big deal is because nice. n yep. 9 out of 10 times is going to replace itself and yep. the control opponent has to remove it. I think it's an, a sideboard card against control. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, because uh, obviously if the opponent can attack you and just keep you off this, gaining two life sounds good, but isn't particularly worth four mana yeah uh you need the life gain to trigger something and i'm not talking about a hollowed priest some of johnny's pride mate replacement you need something better than that like heliod maybe um i i i prob i wouldn't play this because my life my life gain decks are aggressive i just want the opponent dead so i don't think this is much of a card to be honest but but there are people who are going to really enjoy this card I'm glad they have it. Have fun. Go go forth and get your triggers in your card draw. 
Do you think that there are certain matchups like the control matchup you were talking about before where you're going to play this and your control opponent is going to be like, wow, that's Howling Mine? It would have to stick to the battlefield. Yeah. Um, I would hate it if this hit the board and stuck to the board after an extinction event out of a blue-black control deck because they have a hard time removing something like this. Yeah. Yeah, this this could be like a little a neat little sideboard juke against certain decks. Yeah, what what you don't want it to do, you don't want it to be four mana draw a card and then get ECD or Skyclaved, something that the opponent can do and keep, you know, the one for one parity. Yeah, right. Because all you did was spend four mana to draw a card. That's not very good. If it sticks to the battlefield for multiple turns and the opponent can't remove it, and you're drawing two cards a turn then yeah, the Extinction Event decks might hate that. Right, and it doesn't die to Ugin. Yeah, it, this is all sounding like a very niche card. It is. Here's the thing, man. Like, is this better than Maze Mind Tome? Hmm. <laughs> no. Doesn't Maze Mind Tome kind of embarrass this card? The cards are free so that you can use all your mana to keep the pressure on. I, I think Maze Mind Tome embarrasses this in everything but an aggressive life gain deck in the specific matchup I mentioned. Yeah. So, like, no, like, this is still better than Maze Mind Tome in the niche that we already talked about. Right, right, okay. I feel like this is a card that would have been broken in half in 2010 Magic in certain formats in the past. But I just feel like these days, you look at a card that draws you a card every turn, and you're kind of like, meh. <laughs> That's okay, right? Drawing a free card every turn is okay. We we expect more from our cards these days. It wouldn't surprise me if they printed this card, and it just had, when this card enters the battlefield, draw a card. As, as a person who played a lot of Teferi, Hero of Dominaria today, and saw my opponent still outclass it, yes, I agree. Yeah, it's just like, it's good, but it's nothing special in, in this era of magic. So, yeah, color me a big skeptic on this one. Listeners, take the under on this one. I mean, if you want to play Life Game Tribal, you already know. This This is what I say to the people who, like, get excited about these cards. You already know if you are this person. You don't need our opinion. Like, for just just overrule us and go have fun. Yeah, put one of these in your deck. If you're going to play it, start with one. Man, man, you can't tell life game players how to live their you can't, life. You can't tell them what to do. Who, who, am, I, who am I kidding? <laughs> that concludes this session of reading the spoilers. Oh my goodness, that was a lot of cards. And this set continues to look complicated and interesting and have just an unbelievable amount of text on it. I can tell that CGB is just already like chomping at the bit, just wanting to put together all kinds of random Saga Yorian decks. And I'm not far behind him. That's, it, that is just definitely going to be one of the memes on release day that is going to be really fun to try. I don't know. Other thoughts? Snow is definitely looking strong, but I don't think that we've seen the complete package yet, and I think we're going to need to see a little bit more from Snow to start to feel really confident that we want to play it. I'm also waiting for the good dwarves to show up so that we can play our Magda deck. Like, the treasure... The kind of treasure dragon tribal dwarf deck has not come together yet, so I'm a little bit disappointed about that. What else are your thoughts, CGB? This this set looks mid-rangey as hell. Yeah, dude. This is one of the more like battleship kind of 
battle cruiser magic i think they've called it in the past where it's just siege rhinos bumping into mantis riders and wingmate rocks and dune blasts these are all boomer cards that aren't even on arena but like when you just picture both sides having two or three sagas progressing in a game it like it's that it's a very different from kind of the curve out smash face that you might be used to yep absolutely i agree this <laughs> i feel like games in this set are gonna resemble like teamer adventure mirrors or like yorian mirrors right where it's just there's just so much advantage there's so much crap flying around and honestly like the person who can stay focused and stay awake better wins in those matchups all right well that's gonna do it for this week and we will look forward to bringing you even more spoilers next week and this set releases soon so very very excited to see that coming you can find Arena Craft everywhere that you might find podcasts. We're on YouTube. There's a wonderful version of this with the card pictures illustrated on YouTube if you want to watch that. Leave a comment if you want to. You can also go and harass Covert Go Blue on his YouTube channel and on his live Twitch stream. CGB, catch you next week, buddy. See you next time. Later. <laughs>